So as Ashley read um, this, this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, it really is like the, the penultimate passage on the resurrection in the New Testament, the whole chapter. It's an incredible chapter. She read the last like 13 or so verses, no, 12. She read a bunch of verses. She read a bunch. Uh, I think it's 12. She read, I think, 12 verses there, 47 through, through 58. Um, and uh, she read those verses and read them um, in in this great order as the, as the chapter comes to this crescendo of, oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Uh, and it just, it's this like Christian mantra for the ages. Um, but I think as we, as we look at that, we can go ahead and pop up the first little section on there. I want us to see in the first section, it says, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. And this is very interesting. The second man is from heaven. And so Paul, as he's ending this chapter, he talks about these two men, the man of dust and the man from heaven. And I love that beautiful poetic language that is, it's founded, but it's also poetic. Uh, and he says, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And uh, this, this image of this man of heaven, man of dust, dust, it's like the biggest thought that's hit me this Advent season. And, and I long for these. Like, you only get one Christmas story to preach every year, and yet you don't want to shy away from the incarnation. It's the most, one of the most incredible things in the scriptures. It's, it's, the, it's the redemption and the creation fall redemption. Uh, I mean, it's God coming to earth. But what I've, been, what I've begun to see is that Christmas reminds us that the man of heaven becomes a man of dust, that men of dust might be men of heaven. And it is a really, really incredible thing. Let me, let me take you back and just kind of show you. If you go back to, uh, to Genesis 1 and 2, I think this is what you would see. I, um, I couldn't end the year without doing some drawings for you. So if you'll like, there yeah, we go. All right, it's a little small, but the beauty of the iPad. Here we go. Okay, so this is the creation. I'll just zoom out real quick. This is the creation. Uh, my, I wasn't there, so this is just like, I'm just drawing what I think. Um, this is creation by the word of God. And so in Genesis 1 and 2, God speaks. And the first day, he speaks, and he makes light, and then he separates the light from the darkness. And the second day, God speaks and separates, this is a very interesting day, he separates the waters from the waters and makes the heaven. And by the way, when you go back, it says that there was evening and there was morning, day one. There was evening and there was morning, day two. And so the, the day starts as the sun goes down. Then when you get to day three, God separates the water and the land. And so we get ocean and we get land. We get the separations in the continent. Day four, God makes the greater light to govern the day and the smaller light to govern the night. Day five, um, these look better when you zoom out, like not in, but those are birds. Those are five birds and two fish. And, uh, and so that's where you're like, thank you for telling me. I know you knew, but I was just explaining for the one that didn't, the one person. Um, on day five, God makes the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the waters. And then on day six, he makes the mammals. 
Um, the, you can tell where my mind's been the last month and a half or so. So I drew a buck. Um, anyway, so day six, he, draw, he, he draws. No, he didn't. He spoke. He spoke, and the mammals come into existence, the, the, the other animals. And so this is, this is what happens as you look at the creation account. And again, we're going to tie this into Christmas. But he's not done on day six. He stops speaking creation into existence. And on day six... There is also creation by the hand and the breath of God. And so this is, uh, this is my rendition of the Lord. I don't know why he has to be robed, but he is. And he is bending down and he is breathing into this man that he is forming out of the dust. Now, this is the thought that has just like rattled me. I have never, ever in like my 20-something years of like going to church and reading the Bible and being in ministry and all these things, it never once crossed my mind that as the man of heaven is making the man of dust, Adam, he knew in that moment, one day, I will be the man of dust, as he's making the man out of dust, he had to have known in that moment, this is me one day. And it's this, it's this incredible exchange. It's the most mind-boggling exchange that, that I can think of. I mean, when you think about like, I mean, when, when you think about Christmas and you think about all that, that goes on in this, this, this scene that we think about with Mary and Joseph and, and a baby in a manger, it it's, puts it so well into perspective when you think about that, that the man of heaven here is, is going to make the man of dust here. And he's going to breathe his breath into the man of dust. And therefore, the man of dust is going to come alive. But what we have down here is we have the man of heaven suited as a man of dust. And the very breath of God that that baby used in all of creation had to be given it by the hand of God. It is the most mind-boggling deal. We, we have all kinds of, of, of names for it. We, um, we call it the hypostatic union. Like theologians are like, what do we call this? This all God, all man. We call it the incarnation. It's boggled people for so long. And that's because it is beyond our ability. And I think that's why the Bible uses simple terms like man of dust and man of heaven. And what we have at Christmas is this great exchange. Uh, I, I think it, this, this helps make sense of verses like Isaiah 9, 6. Um, I think I've got that on a slide for you. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When we see, when we go back to the iPad, if we can real quick, and we see this picture, what we see is that, yes, a baby was born, but but it's, the the, the man of heaven was pre-existing, and so... The baby was born, but the son was given. The son was already there. And so even in Isaiah 9, 6, you see this melding of what happened in Genesis 1, then the fall, and then, then this redemption. This is the third movement. 
This is God's big plan coming to life. And so what, what we have in this breath of heaven coming into this child that that child already had for all eternity should make us say, this is amazing. And it helps, it really, this, this understanding, this helps make so much more of the Bible make sense. John 1, if you go back and read that, if you read Colossians 1, how he made all things and all things hold together, everything that was made was made through him and nothing was made that, that wasn't made unless he made it. Like it's just this incredible passage and it all makes sense when you start to understand this. So Christmas, it reminds us that the man of heaven becomes a man of dust, that men of dust might become men of heaven. It's, it's this beautiful, beautiful passage that the, the way this starts, let me just show you it. It says so clearly here, the first man, that's Adam. Are we on that? There we are, we're there. Uh, was from the earth. He's a man of dust. The second man, that's gonna be Jesus, is the man from heaven, And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This tells us that it is this great exchange because it's just dust. That's what we are. We live in a dusty world. Do you realize how ridiculous like the world must look to God sometimes? A bunch of dust balls fighting for who's the best dust? I mean, that's the picture that we're given in this passage. It's a pretty ludicrous idea, and yet we scrap and claw because we want to be the best dust. And the world fights and nations rage. And very quietly one night, the sun is given and a baby is born that men of dust could be transformed. And I think you have to ask, why? Why this great elaborate plan? And I think he tells us some of that in the second part of this passage. He says, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because flesh and blood are perishable. Do you realize there's no garbage, no trash, no death with the Lord? And that is what we are as dust. We are, we are dying beings, and death doesn't go to heaven. Death isn't with the Lord. He is life. So we can't inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. I love this word. Every time I see this in the New Testament, my ears perk up. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed in the moment, the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Look, no matter how much we scratch and claw, no matter how much we try, we can never be made right with the Lord. Why? Because we are just dust. We are perishing. We are perishable. We have an expiration date. If you buy us at the store, it says used by yesterday. Like we're that short-lived. We are a vapor, Solomon says over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. The Bible calls us a grass that pops up and withers when the sun comes and it is gone. And, And yet, 
we, we, and, and, and in all of that, we like hide the real darkness that's in our heart by achieving and buying and marrying and procreating and all these things. We hide the darkness. If you've been watching the news, we, we realize that like we have genocide in our heart and we don't even have the guts to say it. I'm not, I'm not even trying to get like political on you. Like it's just a fact. I think what, if you've been watching the news, what you've seen recently is that like, like we all have a darkness that's inside of us. And, and we like encourage each other to like to justify the darkness. Like it's all okay. And, and, and that's, we are, we are, we are perishable. I, I think What's so hard about this from a Christian perspective is that when you realize I can't inherit God on my own, I need him. And when you believe in this great exchange of the man of heaven becoming a man of dust, that men of dust might become men of heaven, when you believe that, then you can get into like these like rituals and you can get into these sacraments and you can get into these like rhythms where it's like, okay, well now I'm gonna have my quiet time like every day and I'm gonna go to church every time and I'm gonna do all these things. And you find yourself trying again to like inherit something that you can't inherit on your own. Listen, listen to me on this. What I have found over the years is that the, the grips on grace are very slippery. It's been a fascinating journey for me. Every time I start to, to try to like hold on and like, and like inherit on my own the things of God, I find that I cannot hold on well at all. And I think, the, I think God made the grips on grace slippery on purpose. He didn't, he, he, he didn't want us to think that we could actually hold on. He wants us to know he did the whole thing. Um, I mean, there's two verses that, that show us this a little bit. Like Jude 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Like the goal of the Christian is not to, not to like do and do and do and do and do and achieve to try to inherit. The goal of the Christian is just to stay mindful and in the love of God. I love this Old Testament verse. Heather and I had this psalm sung at our wedding, Psalm 63.8. Um, Jordan Coughlin brought it up yesterday in our teaching meeting. It says, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. And when we were talking about this in our teaching meeting, all I could think about was a little kid. Have you ever been to the, like, like if you've ever been someplace where like the parent had the kid and, uh, and the kid's got the death grip around the neck, like, do not drop me, stranger danger all around me, like, just hold on. And you know the parent's not gonna be like, just go do your thing. Like, the right hand of the parent is actually upholding them. But the thing about kids is also the thing about the handles of grace. They can't hold on to their parent's neck forever. Sooner or later, they will fall asleep. And when they fall asleep, do they just drop out of the arms of their parents? When they fall asleep, they actually realize their parents were the ones holding them the whole time. And that's what Christmas teaches us. That's what this passage teaches us. We can't inherit these things. It is the Lord who has bestowed them upon us. If, uh, if, if we go 
again, look at this, this verses 50 through 53. Um, I tell you, this brother's flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the, the, the perish, the, the, nor does the, nor does the perishable in, inherit the imperishable. Easy for me to say. Behold, I tell you this mystery. And before I get into the mystery, I just want to reiterate that the tension that you feel as you try to live out your Christianity the tension that you feel is that you, in Christ, have the treasure of Christ inside of you, but you're still covered in dust. And you look like everybody else who's covered in dust. And the world does not understand what has happened inside of you. When they see you, they see themselves. And so if you get a little beat up trying to live for the Lord, it's because we truly live in a dust bowl. It is a big, windy, topsy-turvy, dirty storm out there. And that's just the way the Lord came into it. And it's the way he left when he ascended the Mount of Olives. And it's what he told his disciples to not shy away from. John 17, he said, I don't pray that you would remove them from the world. I pray that you would be with them and protect them while they're in the world. And as you begin to live this out, and you realize that it's not so much you holding on to Jesus as it is that he is holding on to you. I think what you see in the rest of this passage is that we have this hope that one day this will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, we will be changed, the imperishable body must put on the imperishable, this mortal body must put on immortality. There, the shell one day, is going to crack for all who are alive when Jesus comes at his second coming. And what has been inside the whole time, not because of our striving and clawing and trying to inherit, but what has been given to us, bestowed upon us as children of God in Christ, will all come to be seen. And all the, all the, all the questions will be answered. And that is this eternal perspective that I want us to start getting in our mind. We may all look the same, but if you have the hidden treasure of Christ in you, you may be cased in dust, but inside is gold. And it's the Lord's gold, and he's coming back for his gold. So, I think if we, if we continue to, to kind of play this out, we start to see not just the third movement of the biblical narrative of the creation, the fall, the redemption, but what we see, start to see Paul pointing towards is that people in Christ need to understand the creation, the fall, the redemption, but people in Christ need to really start to understand the consummation that God will make all things new and it will affect every part of our lives. And so if you look at the concluding part of this chapter, 
Paul is telling us about that when he says this imperishable is going to put on, or this perishable is going to put on the imperishable. The mortal is going to put on immortality. And then it shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin, and in Christ that is removed. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory. Not victory through our strivings, but victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. In just a minute, I'm going to get to this word, and we're going to talk about this for just a minute or two as our application. But before we get there, you know, I think that death is actually like the real test of salvation and faith. Now, some of us are going to be taken out quickly, like, I'm not trying to just, like, I'm not trying to paint fearful thoughts in you, but, like, it's just going to happen. Whether it's, you know, we'll make it, like, something awesome. Like, you're, like, you're like saving a ton of people, and all of a sudden, like, the thing, it backfires, and you're done, but you saved a million people. Way to go. You're out, they'll build a statue. Like, it's just going to happen fast for some of us, but for some of us, we're going to know that it's coming, And our friend Lou, our pastor, one of our staff pastors, he knew death was coming last week. And he was in the hospital bed and he knew. He knew for, it seemed like he knew in his spirit, like maybe a week or so even ahead of time, like my life is ending. And one of his concerns, and I asked Gabby, his daughter, if I could share this. One of his concerns was that his faith would waver in death. He had given so much biblical counsel on keeping an eternal perspective. So much biblical counsel on the hidden treasure of Christ that is in us, this immortality that is cased in dust. And so John and Kate and I got in my office uh, and we prayed on that Monday. We prayed that Lou's faith would not waver in death. And uh, and there were tears and and it was a, a really sweet moment. Lou passed away that evening. The next day, I messaged Gabby, and I was talking with her, and Gabby said, Thomas, I've got to tell you what happened. And I said, what? And she told me more at the funeral service the following week, and, uh, and so this is the way the story goes. <clears throat> Lou, when he was passing away, he basically was not, not able to have conversations with folks. He was, he was sleeping a lot. He woke up. And he began to, to try to take the hospital things off the whatever he was connected to. And he said, I must be dead. I think I'm dead. And then he turned and he looked at Gabby. And he said, Gabby, I'm with him. And he had this strength and this peace. And it was like, it was one of those rare moments where like heaven and earth kind of collide for a brief time. And the Lord is coming to get who is his. And I think it's, it's moments like that and it's stories like that that we say, yeah, yeah, this is not just like a fairy tale. This is real, and it affects how I live because I have the treasure of Christ hidden in me. Yes, it's encased in dust. But the man of heaven did not become a man of dust so that men of dust could become men of heaven and live like everybody else. And as, as we think about this, this, 
this imperishable and it coming to us. Uh, it makes me think there's like a bunch of different Christmas songs, but one of them is, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. I love the lines. Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. This, it's not just our sins that get released, but it's even our fears that get released in Christ, causing us to live completely different. There's so much we could say on this, but I want to give you just three quick thoughts on, so, so how, do you, how do you practice some of these things? I think in light of all of this, Paul concludes this chapter by saying, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor for the Lord is not in vain. So as you're with those company Christmas parties, those lonely Uber rides, those, uh, those like family deals where it's like Christmas vacation and you're in a bedroom that's not yours with people that you don't normally go in a bedroom with and it's like, this is perfect, cousin so-and-so. Like you're, as you have these moments over the next few weeks, I actually think you can start to live some of this out. I think this is part of your work in the Lord. And so the first thing I would say is you have to remember, if the person is not a believer, you two are not the same. They are dust encased in dust. And you've got to know that. And if you want to know more who you are, I would say go read 2 Corinthians 4, especially verses 7 through 12. Paul talks about this treasure in jars of clay this treasure inside the, the dust that we're encased in. And I would say, in light of that, understanding they are not the same, I think you have to extend grace. And I think this is so important. And I think, I, I think you've got to extend grace and you can do it in like a real savvy way. If you want like a little bit of a kind of a cheeky way to extend grace, I would say read Romans 12. Romans 12 is like very clever. It says, do not avenge, leave room for the vengeance of the Lord. But then it kind of tells you how to avenge. Like it's like, it's kind of smart. Uh, and so I would like go read Romans 12 and it shows you like a, it shows you not a passive aggressive way to extend grace, but a way to extend grace that actually gives a message that you're extending grace on behalf of the Lord. And sometimes that gets people's attention. But the third one I would say is this. I would say, I have no idea if this is legible. Um, I would say, expect suffering. And I heard a few audibles on that one. But this is like a big deal. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12 says that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. All. Now let me tell you when this hurts the most. It hurts the most when you begin to develop an eternal perspective and this appreciation that changes your whole life because the man of heaven becomes a man of dust, that men of dust might become men of heaven, and you're just enraptured in that thought. 
And you know that one day in the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound and this world will be wiped away and the Lord will make all things new. And you're living in light of that. And somebody else who is not dust encased in dust, but somebody else who claims to also have the treasure of Christ in them, cuts your knees out from under you. That's way harder than a man of dust hurting you. And that's where I would say, expect that people are going to let you down. And we don't grow cynical. And we don't quit. And we don't stop extending grace. And we don't lose sight of the eternal perspective and what is to come. But think back to the holiday we're celebrating. The man of heaven who became the man of dust. He got beat up by everybody. And at his worst moment, still said things like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm, I'm done. I'm done, Will. I'm done. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's the last one. It's the last one. <laughs> In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this. It says, at the end of everybody's life, um, uh, it, have you ever heard of like fire insurance? Like, or they were just like barely saved? That's, this just comes from 1 Corinthians 3. Um, at 1 Corinthians 3, it says that everyone's life one day will be put in a heap. And, uh, and it'll be the, the foundation that that heap will be on will be the foundation of Christ. And then there's like this, this spiritual heavenly match that is thrown on it. And anything that we built on that foundation in this life that is perishable will be burnt up. And the only things that will be left are those things that were imperishable, the things that most people never see. As we kind of land the plane on 2023, maybe a great thought would be, how much of this past year did I spend accumulating for me not being mindful that the man of heaven became a man of dust, that we might become people of heaven, and he left us here that we might bring the kingdom to earth, that others might know the Lord. And whatever the amount is of imperishable things this year, I hope next year you have a double-fold blessing because you're that much closer to the Lord and you're that much in tune with him and you want him that much more. And our lives have less and less dusty clutter And I think that's not a paying back or trying to earn. I think that's just simply saying thank you. Let me pray for us. Father, Christmas is so beautiful. And what Jesus did is so beautiful. It's really hard to understand, honestly, Lord, for our little minds, how you could step out of heaven being fully God and yet encase yourself in a dusty casing that we might be men of heaven 
So Lord, help us to live in light of what you've done and in light of what you're going to do. Lord, you're so good to us. Would you tune our hearts to you? And Lord, may we want you because of you more than anything else. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen.